Hello and welcome to episode 96 of the Waters Wavelength Podcast. My name is Anthony Malaki and I'm the U.S. Editor of Waters. And as always, I'm joined by James Rundle, uh, News Editor for Waters. Hello. So, James, this week I'm excited. You know, last week we were kind of pulling straws, you know, grabbing at straws, whatever that saying is. Yeah, yeah. A little bit. A little bit. This week we're going to talk about topics that we haven't really talked about. Well, one we haven't talked about in a long time. Another one that... As I can recall, in our 96 episodes, haven't ever talked about. Yep. So we got some exciting topics, perhaps some interesting, some new, some new blood to the to the podcast here. Some news, if you will. Some, some news happening this week, um, and we'll get to that in just a second. Um, just a reminder: so, uh, Waters USA is our last big event of the year. Yep. Biggest conference that we put on for both the buy side and the sell side. Uh, that'll be December 4th. You can register now. If you're an end user, broker. Um, what are their banks, asset <laughs> managers, hedge funds? What else is? I've only been doing this for eight years. Yeah. Um, it's free for you to attend, and if you want to attend as a vendor, it'll cost you, or you can um, sure sponsorship opportunities, stuff like that. But I don't know anything about that, but I can certainly put you in touch with the people that do. So that's coming up December fourth. Um, hopefully good to see some of you listeners there, and uh, please feel free to come up and chat with us uh, while we are there. Um, so this week, two good, uh, in, two interesting stories, uh, both written by James. Well done, James. Thanks. You know, the salary's finally paying off here. <laughs> <Just>. um, <laughs> so what do you want to start with? Do you want to talk with big tech, or do you want to start with cat? Let's, let's do the cat first. Okay. We'll talk about the interesting thing afterwards. So with the cat, first of all, we're recording this Wednesday late in the day. So this is going to go live Thursday morning, afternoon-ish Eastern time. There could be some developments. So we'll, we'll put that disclaimer first. But yep. um, I guess to start off with, the cat was, uh, one of the first deadlines was supposed to go live today. Yes, yeah, so November the 15th is when the um, self-regulatory organization, so that's the stock exchanges, uh, are supposed to begin reporting transaction data and order flow and participant data to yeah. the cat. And everybody, yes, oh, so, got to, so the 14th, so that'd be Tuesday, said, guys, you know, please delay this. We're not ready. The SRO has said this to NYSE, SIBO. Yeah, they sent it through on Monday. There's this big 48-page letter. Um, they sent through just saying, essentially, we're not going to be able to do it. We need a delay of at least a year, mm-hmm. possibly more. I think they wanted um, the next phase is next year when the broker-dealers are supposed to start reporting. Um, yeah. They wanted that delay to, like, 2020 or something. Um, but, yeah, talk about last-minute push for a delay. They were just like, we can't do this. We're concerned about cybersecurity. Thing that's come out recently with Congress being concerned about it as well because the SEC got hacked in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I think it was about eight or nine o'clock last night. I got an email from the SEC with a statement from Jay Clayton saying, "Yeah, there's no delay." Yeah, and then, you know, just on a side note, you know, it is kind of interesting. You expect you know, Republican appointed Jay Clayton. Yeah, you know, kind of um, usually team up, you know. I know they're, 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 they're if you look at the people who are in charge of the agencies now, you've got Giancarlo, who's an industry man at the CFTC, who is clearly. An advocate for the industry, mm-hmm. uh, and you've got Clayton, who is a Trump appointee, um, mm-hmm. who I think many people, myself certainly, thought that he would be something of a soft touch for the industry. But uh, sure. no, he's turned around. He's just gone. No, I, I can't approve this as it is. So fair play to him. Yeah. Not so made a damn sight of difference today, of course. <laughs> I get in today. I had a meeting uh, in the morning, um, and just asked James how everything's going. Said so working on a frustrating story. Why was it frustrating, James? Why was it frustrating to write this uh, story about the cat? Okay, stats? so I mean, Bloomberg and Reuters did the whole story last night saying SEC rejects um, 
rejects a cat delay proposal. And I was like, okay, what what can I look at today? Because it's supposed to go live. And as far as I can see, the SEC um, has rejected that delay. So let's just ask the exchanges and see, you know, okay, so the SEC has said you still got to do it. Are you going to do it? Um, thinking I would probably get, you know, the usual kind of phone put down on me a few times and lack of responses, but it's just phenomenal. Everyone's just like, yeah, not talking about it. Even Thesis, who's supposed to build the cat, I said to them, like, you know, uh, is it even operational, guys? You know, is anyone going to report to this? And they went, yeah, we can't talk about it. And not even anybody with background thing. or anything like oh, that. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. So I thought, okay, I'll talk to the SEC. Like, yeah. surely they're going to have something. So look, you just clarify, because Jay Clayton said that he wants all the SROs to work together to um, to meet their obligations as soon as practicable, really. Um, so I just said, look, you clarify in the chairman's speech. Um, does this mean that the SEC is expecting people to start reporting as scheduled today or not? And like the SEC being the usual helpful selves just turned around and went, no comment. Yeah. I was like, yeah, fine. I wasn't looking for a comment. Can you clarify it? Just no, no response. Um, and that was pretty much part of the course. Um, a lot of the exchanges said they're literally not allowed to talk about it. You had to go through the CATS um, sort of ruling body, the, the governing uh, operational council. Uh, who also declines to just say whether it was going ahead or not. Um, it's just quite staggering. I mean, like, is everyone just ignoring this now? Like, are we just kind of assuming it's just not going to happen? And like, I don't know. Like, it's... Well, so one of the interesting things I thought from your story, so there's really, there's, there's really not much we can talk about right now because there's just more questions and a lot more questions than there yeah. are answers. Um, but uh, in uh, for the story you spoke, you were able to get uh, Jess uh, Haberman. Haberman. Yeah, from um, uh, he's the director of compliance at Fidesa, okay. um, who gave some actually some decent insight into what you just said. And one what they thought was interesting, he said, um, was regardless of the approach taken, um, the collaborative relationship between the commission and the SROs is under considerable strain right now. Yeah. Um, so to get to get back to the point with you know Clayton taking over, it is kind of interesting that we've gotten to this point. Do you feel, you know, and just you're a little bit reporting on this, uh, and uh, Dan was doing a lot of reporting, Dan DeFrancesco was doing a lot of reporting for us previously, do you feel that it was just that they came too late in the game and they saw kind of an opening with the cybersecurity? Because the way that I feel about it is they saw the cybersecurity, there was a lot of concern, everybody started picking on the cat, became Mm -hmm. this kind of, you know, this this, uh, target that we say, ah, is this really, you know, the smartest thing? We should slow down with this. And they thought, okay, we got our boy Clayton in there. We have a legitimate cybersecurity concern. We should be able to yeah. push this we back. We can hang our hat on and this and then it's fine. they just maybe played their hand I a little mean, bit too late, I, I think so. And, and I think a lot of this criticism um, is uh, like particularly unfounded, quite frankly. I mean, uh, you know, when you go back to when people started talking about delay, it was Congress and the hearings um, in the Senate and the House, and they just said, you know, as a result of the cyber intrusion, do you feel that you're capable of safeguarding this data? And it always seems to me to be a, bit of a weird question because, you know, the SEC, yes, it, Edgar was infiltrated the company filing system. It was patched pretty quickly. Yeah. But the problem with the SEC wasn't necessarily the fact that it happened. Like, you can't expect that to happen these days. It's more that it took them a year to disclose it. Exactly. Um, and there was a lot of political point scoring. I think people who wanted to be seen to be tough on Clayton in the House and the Senate. And then naturally afterwards, the, the industry, which has never really been keen on this, I don't think, to start with, no. um, just latched onto it and thought, well, great, we can use this as a stick to beat the SEC with without realising it's not really. I mean, you know, the SEC is one thing, but its thesis is running it. And the, in that 48-page letter, to be fair, they say, well, we can't possibly go ahead with this because thesis hasn't appointed chief information security officer. And it's like, 
Right, okay, but you knew about this. Like, yeah, you know, I mean, exactly. you know what cybersecurity is, guys. I mean, don't be numpties. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, why is this suddenly a problem? Um, and I just, I mean, it's fun, amazing. I think um, Haberman said even, like, you know, he's never seen an example where the SROs and the regulators have been at an impasse so close to a deadline and haven't come to a, some sort of agreement or consensus about how to move forward. I just yeah, find it quite it's interesting. It's like, it's like a game standoff right now. Yeah, yeah well, they, what they, are they going to do? Yeah. And like the question now is, you know, what does the SEC do? Like, um, does it turn around and and uh, either censure these firms for not doing it or penalise them? Um, the SROs, I mean, to like what little credit I'm willing to give them, um, they probably have some fair points in it. You know, yeah. there is a lot of information being here. There are some, maybe some genuine concerns about whether it be safeguarded, but. Um, at the end of the day, like you guys have known this has been coming for a year. Like, why the huge 11th hour problems? Why is there a 48 page letter being sent to the SEC on Monday yeah. saying we cannot possibly do this in a year, let alone anything else? You yeah, know? You, come on, like it's you know, going to be interesting. Like I said, I, you know, there's a very good chance that we're talking about this right now and some developments could happen. Oh, yeah, but they're going to have so, to, they can't ignore it. Yeah, right? exactly. So, we apologize for any of that. Um, but James and I are both going to be at uh, different meetings in Midtown. So we're not going to be in the office, and then by the time we meet up at about five o'clock, we're just going to want to drink. So exactly, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah that's generally what happens around that time. But it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's a fascinating, I think, from a market structure, um, regulatory interaction perspective, like yeah. an example of how things can go so badly pear shaped so quickly uh, on something like this. And I don't know, uh, I've just never come across anything like it. I don't think it's... it'll be interesting to see again in these next couple of days what's going to happen, and is this uh, something of you know, a bellwether of how Clayton is going to handle, you know, pushback from the industry toward regulations going forward. Yeah, exactly. Um, so certainly some interesting um, yeah. and if plays we, to play out. And listen, if, if what we've just said is way off the mark, then talk to the reporters who come to you with questions, even on background off the record, and just, you know, yeah. give us something to go yeah. on here, guys. It's just, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's, like, listen, you know, this will be worked out. We're just kind of just trying to finalize something. Or something right, like that, exactly. But. Yeah, that's it. Well, all right. So let's go to something that is also it's it's not necessarily guaranteed, but another an interesting um, uh, theory. So James wrote another piece this week, looking at how uh, big tech may take a bite out of asset managers. Uh, asset managers could find themselves disrupted by technology companies in near future. Um, BNY or no Moody's uh, Investor Services put out a research report on this. It is Moody's in- Investor Service. Actually, I think it's a really weird like construction. I got that wrong the first time and got sharply corrected. That's but true. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, they put a really interesting research note out uh, yesterday on the fourteenth um, about this, and they're just saying essentially that. Asset management, as it is, is in such a state right now. You've had um, a first wave of disruption where people have moved from active management to passive investments. Um, You've had a lot of fee compression. You've had a lot of outflows. um, And also, asset management has typically been slow to adopt technology, so it's left it vulnerable, perhaps, to some of the big tech players who are increasingly um, skilled at areas asset management is looking at, things like emerging technology, AI, data analytics, uh, smart beta, that kind of thing, all just plays into the big tech companies' hands. A lot of these guys, like Apple, are sitting on dozens of billions of dollars uh, in a cash pile. Um, I've been hearing for a few months now that people are thinking they, you know, some of these big guys are going to make a play into more complex areas of finance, and uh, it's interesting that Moody's came out with this, actually. Yeah. 
you know, so we've seen a little bit of this already in Asia with uh, Alibaba. Yeah, I think Huibao is their uh, their money market fund, and it's something like twenty three percent of the total AUM of the market. Yeah, for the it's... China's uh, um, uh, money market funds, and then you also had uh, another example uh, that was given was um, India with uh, Paytm. Yes, um, just doing some of the stuff, and also Wealthfront, a Wealthfront. fintech company, uh, announced they're launching a risk parity fund uh, as well over here, which I mean. It's probably less significant than the big tech companies because they're fintech companies. Sure, sure. Deal with it, but um, yeah, and it has been tried before. I mean, PayPal I think had a money market thing for about six years, um, but it ended up costing them money because they guaranteed a certain rate of interest on it, and they actually had to end up propping up after a while. But um, yeah, Steve too, who's uh, one of the researchers who I spoke to, um, just said, you know, given this move towards what are relatively simple instruments like index plus or sort of trackers and that kind of things um it doesn't require a huge amount of sort of i guess intellectual firepower to put in place you don't need specialist money managers who actually you know, manage portfolios shh, to... James, shh. you know you don't give away that secret um and the the barrier to entry really isn't that high uh, and i thought it was really interesting that you might see something like a uh, google asset management or Apple, I guess, iShares has already taken sort of things something else, but um, you know, it's uh, uh, something in that space coming in, and, and maybe these big tech companies already have. Let's not forget a pedigree in finance, things like Apple Pay, Google Wallet, um, mm-hmm. a lot of their CFOs, ex industry, ex hedge fund bosses, that kind of thing as well. Um, there's a there's a very ripe market perhaps to move into. Yeah, because like I remember even so, I worked at uh, American Banker um, industry publication covering the retail banking sector. You know, that's probably nine years now ago or so. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you heard about Walmart potentially coming in as a bank. That's still kind of, you know, this kind of idea of disrupting. It's taken forever for, for that real movement to happen. Um, you know, what I find most interesting about this is somebody like Google. What happens when a major technology provider to financial service firms? I mean, mm-hmm. think about how many firms are using Google Cloud Platform. Yeah. Um, it's, it's growing year over year and, and increasingly coming into Amazon. Amazon itself, well, yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, Jeff Bezos uh, ran a hedge fund. Right? Yeah. <laughs> He's got the experience. So yeah, you see uh, Google go and there's no reason why you're not. It would be interesting then become like, not only am I using this this uh, tech company, but also now I have to compete against yeah, I'm them. I'm using my competitors' sort of infrastructures. I mean, I wonder if uh, one of the things I asked uh, Steve about, which didn't really make the feature, was... Um, you know, is this necessarily going to be a disruptive thing, or are we going to see, um, you know, uh, asset management giants teaming up with Google, so you get sort of a BlackRock Amazon partnership, or mm-hmm. you know, uh, an Aberdeen um, Google partnership, or whatever? Um, or are we going to see maybe even some of the bigger boys being acquired by some of these companies who just want to have that kind of franchise by ready-made, yeah. like, recently like BMP did with um, Jonas Henderson's Forty X mm-hmm. um, franchise. Uh, and he just said, you know, I mean, it, time will tell. At the beginning, you don't. It'll be simple products, but if they find success in that, you might find actually that you know. And one of the things, so uh, Amy Bowman uh, backs that. She tweeted uh, me a story uh, when I put up a, a link to that story. Um, they did a little bit of research into this, and they um, polled over a thousand high net worth individuals. So she's saying that this, that the first movement of this could be for wealth management yep. um, to come first, and so. They asked uh, over a thousand high net worth uh, individuals, um, "Would you, would you like to see a techno or what was it entering the technology?" So let me, get, I'm doing a great job here right <laughs> now. Um, but, oh, so they were just asking, 
of a group of firms, who would you like to see enter into the wealth management space? And Google was the most popular choice among those thousand yeah. uh, respondents. And they have such a big background infrastructure and standing um, right now. God, I give most of my life I give over to Google right now. Yeah, you know, with exactly, my photos, yeah. music, you know, um, everything. You know, it's just everything. Like, even my iPhone is just here. Yeah. All. I mean, I think it's probably important to caveat that not necessarily saying that institutional mandates will necessarily flow to these uh, places, but sure. people who are comfortable with, uh, say, Google, and as you say, who basically run their life through it already, or people who are um, tied into Apple's ecosystem, it already knows everything about them. It does it way better than current asset managers do. It knows their behavior, it knows their spending habits, because they yeah. all use Apple Pay and things like that. Um, it has that kind of know your clients rather than know your customer necessarily kind of pedigree to it and all sure. the data that goes with it as well is kind of their bread and butter right so yeah um and their yeah. ability to make a user experience that is beautiful and seamless is yeah. gonna it'll outstrip anybody that's in the market right now but it's yeah and also for them i guess it's um you know it's just another data point because these companies they don't really care about the the nickels and dimes you get from management fees or whatever, they, they care about the fact that they have access to all of this data, which is their lifeblood, right? Sure. From the, and that side of the consumer they don't have already, they can get through that, which is equal parts, kind of interesting and terrifying, I guess, but it's uh, <laughs> it's very cool. But uh, yeah, and um, uh, I've completely forgotten what I was going to say. Well, I think it's good uh, good enough reason as any to move on. Uh, this is something that we'll obviously be following into the future. Um, if you have any thoughts on it, feel free to... Uh, give a shoot an email or ring up uh, James or I mm-hmm. on either of the topics that we've talked about. If you know anything that's going on with the cat, definitely reach out to uh, James Yeah. Uh, for that since when Dan was here, I didn't cover the cat. Dan left, I was like, I still don't really feel like covering the cat. I did get into the office this morning, slightly bedraggled at quarter past nine, going, I'm going to have to cover this today. And I just went <laughs> to, to Dan and I did this hulking man who sort of sat over furiously pounding away his keyboard and went, Dan, please explain this to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm on energy derivatives now. I don't know anything about Is it about oil? I don't care, Rundle. Come on. <laughs> so that's what we got. Um, we will have a show of some sort uh, coming up for Thanksgiving. Not 100% sure what I'm going to do for it yet. I think maybe do a best of, you know, kind of. Cause yeah, like a canned episode kind of thing. So the canned worms. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. We'll have to figure yeah. out. But there will be something. Don't worry. You know, so when you want to ignore your family <laughs> over Thanksgiving, you can listen to that. But speaking of listening, figure you might, maybe some of you have a long trip. I have to take a, I'm going out to uh, Garrettsville, Ohio mm-hmm. for Thanksgiving. Um, so, you know, maybe you want to listen to some tunes, some new music. Yeah. Okay. So we figured, you know what, let's go through, let's talk about some of the better albums to come out here in 2017. Um, yeah. You want to fire it off? You know, you got a oh, top picks. You're going to hate everything that I say, trust me. <laughs> I hate uh, everything that you say about anything. So uh, yeah, really, that's yeah. It's a good thing we're doing a podcast. Yeah, exactly. Right? Um, yeah, my music taste veers towards the kind of the punk rock side of things, um, so I'm not necessarily... Uh, the most qualified person to speak for a broad audience but for me um, Hot Water Music came out with the first album in many many years they're very famous in Hot that Water of Music yep Hot Water Music uh, Chuck Regan and various other people um, but superb um, a band called Iron Sheik from Long Island uh, came out with an album uh, which was very different from their previous stuff after their guitarist died in a, of cancer I think and it was a, a really interesting kind of direction for them a band called Anti Flag um, who've been around for nearly two decades now, came out with their first good album probably in about 10 years, which has been uh, 
pretty awesome, and you're kind of nodding at me. Yeah, going, I've never even heard of these bands. Never even heard of these bands. What else have we got? Uh, albums that weren't that great. Taylor Swift's new album, not that good. So, I was not, you know, it's not as good as a uh, previous album. I, th- I think that she's taken a lot of heat. You know, it's there aren't a lot of classics per se in a blank space or whatever. Um, but you know, it, it's 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 solid enough. It's good. It's yes. decent. You yeah. know, it's like I don't know. Just thinking about empty. It's not red where you can like define every song and I'm sure, listening sure. to it all the way through. And like I'm a closet Taylor Swift fan, uh, as a lot of people are. I think and. At least with Red, each song is individual and you can remember it. I was listening to Reputation. I was like, the whole way through, I was just thinking, what song are we on now? Like, oh, there's Ed Sheeran. Right, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and it just felt like the same monotonous grind all the way through for me. But then I've read other articles saying that it's her most cohesive effort to date from the New York Times and things like that. So maybe, what the hell do I know about music? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, so, you know, for yeah. me, it was like, it's good. You know, there's, there's nothing that truly jumps out. Um, I also felt another one that got a lot of hype was uh, Kendrick Lamar. Um, big fan of his, but this album, I didn't feel like there were any anthems, anything that like really kind of jumped out and stayed with me for a long time. Um, but a lot of people were saying it was a great anthem. So you know, for those two, I, I I was I was underwhelmed even with their fine music, you know, fine quality. Yeah. Um, You're a fan of the. Uh Foo Fighters album, weren't you as well? That's Foo Fighters album, uh, The Sky's a Neighborhood, and that song in particular is one of my all-time favorite songs. Okay, there we go. I your recommendation. I just I didn't get on with it. But then again, like I've never really got on the Foo Fighters to a huge extent. I've liked them. Yeah. I've like, never loved them because that grunge kind of thing really isn't my... Well, that kind of rock that developed out of grunge. Yeah, exactly. So. You know, the, the album is very solid, I think. Um, but in that song in particular... Um, couple other heavier songs uh, for me uh, Queens of the Stone Age came out with a new one called Villains and um, there were two really really strong songs if you want to check them out uh, Feet Don't uh, Fail Me Now and uh, The Way You Used to Do uh, really really uh, solid uh, Marilyn Manson put out a new uh, a new album uh, Heaven Upside that's, Down uh, that's a pretty solid album actually isn't it? and there's a great song on it called uh, Say Ten S A Y and then the number ten, right? Okay. So Satan, yeah. um, and the the hook of it is you say you say God, I say say ten, say say ten, say say right, ten. Right. It's just like awesome. <laughs> um, tattooed in reverse, another one really good from that uh, album. Um, two other albums I'd point to is uh, the National uh, put a new album, Sleepwell Beast. Uh, got to see them actually in Williamsburg. Um, check out from them uh, Day I Die and uh, the System Only uh, Dreams in Total Darkness. And then my best album, and this I, I don't know why Taylor Swift gets you know all the play. Maybe you know Breaker, I don't know what it, I, I I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just more of a pop sound to it. But Lord, Lord this album, like her first album was just absolutely incredible, and this last one, Melodrama, uh, Greenlight, and uh, Liability. But really, any song that she's ever put out, mm-hmm. in my opinion, uh, or at least of her two albums, there are two big albums that she put out. Every single song is quality, well written, um, well laid out. You know, really kind of stays with you. It's great, great album. I feel like she should get a lot more credit. And then uh, the best song, probably outside of uh, the skies and neighborhood, is um, Jason Isabel and the Four Hundred Unit. Uh, if we were vampires, very, very good song. That album, I've listened to a little bit of it. You know, it, it's pretty good all around too. The two more ones I think of the Menzingers. Uh, they're banned from. Uh... Sounds like something you get after uh... <laughs> after the party. Yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. In fact, the album is called After the Party. <laughs> so, but it's really cool. It's like uh, it, I mean, they had their roots as a punk rock band, but they're kind of almost sort of Springsteen style blue collar kind of 
Watch there we go with uh, Springsteen. Um, he's got. Yeah, well, they're obviously not Springsteen, but uh, that kind of like influence uh, has taken it in that kind of punk rock divergence direction. It's really, really worth your time listening to. Um, got rave reviews from everyone. Um, one album you probably shouldn't listen to, which I had the distinct displeasure of having to sit through in full on Friday night, was uh, Evanescence's Synthesis. <laughs> <laughs> My wife is a huge Evanescence fan, and it was her birthday in the weekend, so I got dragged along to uh, to watch Amy Lee. What was great is we were all at like yeah. all the reporters went to the white went to the white horse down here in the financial district uh, after, on Friday. And, you know, we're all having a good time, getting in some good conversation. Madigan you know. turned up as well from Risk. Peter Madigan came Madigan. out. It was really yeah. great, you know. And then James like, all right, I gotta go leave and watch Evanescence now <laughs> with the full symphony orchestra. Oh, he's yeah, poor sad. Twenty string fucking orchestra um, who decided <laughs> to do like a half hour set just playing like classical music at first, and I wanted to blow my brains out. Thankfully, I was safe from that by falling asleep. There you go. <laughs> but uh, there we go. When all else fails, falls asleep exactly. during a concert. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. Very good. Well, that's what we got. Like I said, we will have something up. Haven't decided on what yet for next week. Yep. Um, but um, then we're going to be hitting it hard uh, after Thanksgiving break. So I uh, hope to get to hear from me from some of you. We get to see some of you at Warden's USA on December fourth. Um, until then, have a good week. Have a good week, guys.